Amen. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning, in Exodus chapter 3. We're going to begin with verse 7 through 10. And um, this, the title of this message, uh, I was trying to find a way to uh, really incorporate what I wanted to bring out. Because I didn't really start with the text, I started with a premise. Most Every time I preach, I start with the text, and the Lord speaks to me through the text. But this time, I just had a thought, and then I began to figure out, I began to say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to bring this about? I felt like you gave me an idea, and I was trying to, to name it, but the premise was this. The land of promise is not necessarily, I didn't put necessarily in there because it's a long title. The land of promise is not necessarily the land of easy. The land of promise does not equate to the land of easy. With that in mind, let's jump into our text, Exodus 3, 7 through 10. And the Lord said, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And so I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and we're going to have a test after this, and you need to name all the ites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So now let me give you a little bit of background. In the centuries prior to the time that, that our text is taking place, God had appeared to a man named Abram, and over the process of time, as he lived his life before the Lord, uh, God revealed to him that not only was he going to have a son in his old age, but he was going to have a, uh, 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 the nations were going to come from his uh, uh, loins. And they, if you could count the stars in the sky, you would see, uh, you know, how many, how many people that are going to come uh, from you, from a man that had no child. But not only did God promise him he was going to have descendants, God also promised him when he had told him to leave the land where he was at and go to a land he was going to show him, God promised him that this new land, which we now know is the land of Canaan, that he was walking through, God was going to give it to him and to his descendants. Now, he's walking through a land that is, according to the people that are on the land, not his, but God says, I'm giving you this land and your descendants this land. But the land that God was given to him was like in the raw, in the rough, because it had a lot of, not trees and brush that needed to be cleared, I'm sure it had that as well, but it had a lot of the enemy on the land that needed to be cleared as well. However, um, in order to attain this promise that God was giving to Abraham, what we're going to find is that there would be a process involved in actually possessing that which they'd been given. Um, some of y'all have had things because of, of um, a death in the family, perhaps, things that have been uh, inherited to you, they've been given to you in a will, but in order to actually possess that, sometimes you had to go through a lawyer, you had to go through a process, you may have even had to go through a fight because somebody else wanted what you had. Or somebody else believed that what was given to you, really, they really deserved. And you may have had to go through a fight. So in order to attain that which you were given, you had to go through a process, maybe even a fight, to be able to possess that which you've been given. Correct? Right? So in our text, 
Abraham's descendants, many, many years down the road, found themselves enslaved in Egypt, and God is calling a man with the name of Moses to not only take them out of Egypt, but to bring them into the land that God had promised Abraham 400 years prior, 400 plus years prior. So now I want you to realize I'm going to call this land the land of promise. We know it as the promised land, but the promised land means the land of promise, right? Why is that important? Because it's a land that God promised them, and where we're going to go in this text is what we're going to realize is that not only what, what God did for them through the land, God has also made many precious promises to us as well. All right. So we might need to get up and do some calisthenics, a little bit of jumping jacks, uh, too many donuts. Uh, too many. I knew I shouldn't have brought those danishes. Y'all are having sugar lows right now. <laughs> uh, it helps me if you're with me, right? This, that doesn't help me too much. Okay, so, um, but what we're going to realize is that we too have been given promises, and I'm going to equate the land of promise as similar to what it's going to be like for us to attain the promises of God, is that uh, it was a process in attaining the land of promise. While God had given the Israelites the land, the land of promise that God had given them did not necessarily mean that it was going to be easy. Why is this important? Because in our culture today, and I'm going to bring that even uh, a little bit more uh, uh, defined and delineate that into Christian culture. In our Christian culture today, too many of us think that if God is in something, it's going to be easy. What I want to bring out today, and what I hope to be able to show you and reveal to you, is that the possessing the promises is not always easy. Sometimes it is, and I like it when it is. But for the most part, it's not. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not God. It's hard, must not be God. I'm having a battle, must not be God. Uh, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. God must not be in it, right? This isn't God. Instead of realizing that maybe you're in a battle because it is God. Because God wants this for your life, and the enemy doesn't want you to have it. And to attain the promises of God, you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to contend so that the promises that everything that God has revealed to you and shown you that he wants to do in your life can actually manifest in your life. So the land of promise is not always the land of the easy. The first point we're going to look at is that the Israelites possessed the land that God gave them through warfare. The Israelites possessed the land through warfare. Exodus 13, 17 through 18, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, I'm talking about out of Egypt, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, what I want you to read in there, you may not realize, he didn't say if they see war, he said when they see war. They're going to fight. They're just not ready for a fight yet. Right? Now, uh, God, uh, so God led them uh, by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So what does that mean? Well, orderly ranks means they went out like they were an army, but they weren't ready to fight yet. 
right? When the Israelites came out of Egypt, uh, this verse tells us they came out in some ways dressed for battle. They hadn't had the battle to get out of Egypt. The battle was between God and Pharaoh, who, by the way, was considered to be the God of Egypt. The battle was between the Israelites' God and the God of Egypt, which was Pharaoh. And so the Israelites didn't really have to fight. When they came out of Egypt, um, they instinctively knew that they needed to be prepared for battle. God didn't discourage that, but he also didn't lead them into battle right away. What we will see is that although they were not yet prepared, they would indeed eventually have to battle, have to fight, if they were going to attain all that God wanted for them. They would have to struggle and contend to possess their God-given inheritance, the land of promise. See, so many people think that the goal of the Christian life is to get out of slavery, to get out of Egypt. That's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is to go into the land of promise. To, in the land of promise, I want some people think, well, the land of promise is heaven. Well, I don't know about you, but when I go to heaven, I don't expect to be facing the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites. The, I don't expect to be having because heaven is not like that. Heaven is our reward for a life of battle in this life. But God has... Uh, uh, promises and let's put it this way God has uh, pieces of heaven that he wants to rain down on us while we walk in this life not just when we get to the next so what is that what does that life look like what is that life where we begin to experience all that Jesus did for us in the in, at the cross of Calvary what does it look like uh, it's actually uh, uh, an analogy that's given to us a type of the land of Canaan the land of Canaan is the promise of God to the Israelites. Now, I want you to know that some people never walked into the... They walked out of slavery, but they never walked into the land of Canaan. Some people did walk into the land of Canaan, but, Canaan, but more than likely they just stopped right there at the Jordan River and never went any farther. Some people began to push a little bit farther into the land of Canaan, and some people began to experience more. Now, now what we're going to find also is that the first generation, uh, they didn't cross over. The next generation did, but it would take succeeding generations to actually possess all that God had in store for them. But every generation was going to have to do a little bit of fighting and a little bit of warfare to actually attain all that God had promised them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, uh, they were going to have to struggle to possess their God-given inheritance. During their wilderness wanderings, they were going to have a taste of battle because uh, what we find is that when they came out, there was a, a, a tribe or a people by the name of Amalek came out and they fought with Israel, Exodus 17, 8 through 10. It says, Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. I'm going to go up on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Now, when we read this text, if you know the rest of it, Moses' hands were up. The people started winning the battle. Moses' hands went down. The people started losing the battle, right? So we tend to think, well, it's all about Moses and his hands. No, it's also about Joshua and the people that are fighting. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, The horse is prepared for battle, but the Lord gives the victory. I began to think about that. 
Well, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the horse, and it doesn't mean the horse doesn't have to be trained, and it doesn't mean that the horse doesn't have to go out and, and, and be under the uh, subjection of a rider, but the horse was like the tank of the day. But you know, just because you have tanks doesn't mean your tanks are going to do you any good if you don't have people uh, that know how to follow orders and do what they're supposed to do. It's the Lord that gives the victory, right? And so the Lord is going to give the victory for the Israelites, but it's important that you have the Israelites that are going out to battle and fight. And so Joshua got certain people. They went out to fight. Moses did his part. They did their part. And as God did his part through Moses doing, lifting up his hands and the Israelites did their part, then they experienced victory, right? So I, I think that, and again, I'm going to give you sneak peeks here and there. I think that too many of us, we think the Christian life is, if I just, if I just uh, uh, stand with God and, and read my Bible and do, you know, God will take care of all of this for me. The favor of God is on my life. It is, but the favor of God oftentimes is on your life as you step forward into the problem to move the problem out of your way, not while you sit in your uh, a house and don't do anything. Uh, let me equate it this way. If you're praying for God to give you a job because His Word teaches you know, that He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, and you're believing God, that's a good thing to do. But if you never leave your house to go out and look for a job, well, God's going to do His part, but you've got to do your part. As you go out there and contend, God will move things out of the way and will open doors for you, but you've got to go out there into the battle. I know that's kind of considered a metaphor, but you've got to go out there into the fray. And sometimes getting a job is like, getting a, is like going into battle. All right. So in this particular instance, the Israelites won the skirmish, and, and when they won the skirmish, they came to eventually, and I'm giving you a little short little history, they came to the mountain of God. Moses went up on the mountain, met with God, came down, gave them the law of God. They made a covenant with God. God made a covenant with his people. After, uh, I, I'm not sure if it was a year after they came out of Egypt, they finally made it to the borders of Canaan. Maybe it wasn't that long. Um, and uh, they made it to the borders of the land of promise because, again, the goal was not just to get out of Egypt. The goal was not to spend time in the wilderness. The goal, they were going to have to do that. It's all part of the journey, but the goal is to get them into the land of promise. So what we need to understand is that while God promised to go with them, they were going to have to cooperate with God as they would have to push any enemy that was squatting on the inheritance that God had given them out of the way. They were going to have to fight to possess the land of promise. Numbers 13, 27 through 29. Um, uh, God, Moses had sent some spies out into the land to check it out. When they came back, um, they, they said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. They brought, if you're, you know, they brought big old things of grapes. So we don't know if it was grapes. I think, yeah, it was grapes from Eshkel. And they brought grapes, and they said, man, it's a good land. Man, it's got a lot of fruit. All this stuff is happening. It, it is a land of milk and honey, just like God promised us. Nevertheless, what does that mean? But, there's always a but. Uh, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large, very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. When they understood Anak, they meant giants. We saw the descendants of the giants there, 
the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. You know, and so what they're saying is, uh, yes, it's a good land. Yes, God, what God said about the land is true, but I don't think we quite understand. You know, maybe God, maybe God wants us to have this land, but I think the problems in attaining the land, the mountains, the, the enemy in the land is bigger than the promise that God has given it to us. And because they began to focus on the problems, they began to focus on the mountains, they began to focus on the obstacles to their promise, they got their eyes off God. And because of fear and unbelief, they would not go in and contend for the promise of God for their lives at this time under Moses' leadership. And what ended up happening there is that even though they came out of Egypt, perhaps, and God did that for them supernaturally, somehow perhaps they were expecting that what God did for them in Egypt, where he fought the battle for them, what God did for them in the wilderness, where he provided everything for them, that maybe God was going to do in the promised land. But God's ultimate desire for our life is not that he does everything for us, but that he works with us and through us. Too many people want to live life in the wilderness, and God is committed not to your immaturity, but to your maturity. So if you're going to experience provision in the wilderness, when you're walking through the wilderness, you might see supernatural provision laid out for you in God. In the promised land, it's still supernatural, but in the promised land, you're going to have to sow and reap. You hear what I'm saying? So sometimes we want to live in the promised land out of season. We want to live in the promised land like we're walking through the wilderness. We want to experience in the wilderness what we're going to experience later on in the promised land. And the reality is we have to recognize the season that we're in. And the season that we're in as we're moving into the promised land. There are promises that God has for you. But in order to attain them, unlike the wilderness, unlike those times in your life when God was teaching you and training you, showing you who he is and trying to instill that in your life. Now because of who he is, he expects us to cooperate with him and to fight with him. But it reminds me of that. Anybody here, I, I don't know if you've ever seen the Chronicles of Narnia, but there was one of those movies where um, at the very end they're in a battle, all the, all the kings, uh, the, the kids that are kings are fighting and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and there's this little girl, I forgot what her name is, and she just has, she's looking for Aslan, she's looking for God, you know, in the midst of all this. And they're like, no, you've got to fight, you've got to do this, you've got to do this for yourself, which we do. But sometimes we want to fight without God not realizing that we have to fight, but if we're going to fight, we're going to fight with God. And the little girl no, never lost sight of that. And so, so finally she casts his sight of Aslan, which is God, and she goes and meets with him, and he, and he says to her, we're going we're gonna to take care of this army that's coming up against you, but we're going to do it uh, my way. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to take your uh, gift that I gave you, and what he had given her is a little knife about this big, and I need you to go stand on the bridge against the enemy, that army enemy that is coming. She didn't think anything about it. Sure. Goes out, stands on the bridge, because her confidence wasn't in her knife. Her confidence wasn't in what she could do. Her confidence was in the line, which in God, the line of the tribe of Judah, was in God behind her. But he said, you need to do this. And she did it. 
she went out in this bridge and she was all alone on one side and all the other people go, oh, what is she doing? She's gonna, you know, and then on the other side of the river of this small little bridge is a whole army and she stands out there and she draws her little knife. And when she draws her little knife, the enemy's laughing and they're saying, what in the world is going on? The people of God, are, what is this she doing? And all of a sudden, here comes this lion right beside her. Right behind her, and then as the enemy comes, so she had to do her part. But as we do our part, guess what? God does his part. And when the enemy came up, all of a sudden the lion roared. And when he began to roar, the enemy began to go into confusion. The waters, this is still supernatural, the waters began to come alive, and they overpowered the enemy. That was, but the girl had to go out and fight. And sometimes we feel, well, I'm so small. I don't have this. My faith is this. You know, it doesn't matter. Do what God tells you to do. Step out there. It's, it's, it's God that's going to do it, but we're part of the fight. I don't know how I got off on that. Let me get back. Anyway, this generation, because of fear and unbelief, would not possess the promise of God for their lives under Moses' leadership, right? Instead, they were, uh, instead of uh, uh, cooperating with God, they were confronted with the necessity of participating in the struggle, which was a totally foreign to what they had uh, uh, probably thought they were going to do. You've got to remember, they came out of slavery. They're used to having stuff done for them, told what to do. And, and, and so they're not used to cooperating of their free will to participate with things. And, and anyway, they, they didn't get it. They didn't go into the promised land. And, uh, and what I want uh, us to understand in that is one of the reasons that they didn't go in is because it wasn't easy. Now, they had to go through 40 years of wandering. Eventually, a new, another generation was going to come to the borders of the Promised Land, this time under the leadership of Joshua. And by the way, the word Joshua means salvation, deliverance, and victory. Do you know anybody else named Joshua? We know him as Yeshua. Jesus. He's our salvation. He's our deliverance. He's our victory. Emmanuel, God with us. This time, under the leadership of Joshua, who's a type of the Lord, they would come back to that spot once again to seek to possess the promise of God for themselves. Joshua 1, 2, and 9, uh, uh, Moses, uh, the Lord tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, you arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Not I will give you, I have given you. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you. What does that mean? There are going to be people that are going to stand before you. But they're not going to be able to remain standing before you all the days of your life because as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So Joshua led, them, led the Israelites into battle, and following God's instructions, they began once again the process of possessing that which God had given them all those years ago when he spoke to Abram. It wasn't easy. You go back and read the book of uh, Joshua in Judges. It wasn't easy. You see, 
possessing the promises of God, we've got to get out of that mindset that it's always going to be easy, and if it's not easy, it's not God. No, if it's, uh, did I say that right? If it's easy, it's God. If it's not easy, it's not God. No, sometimes to possess the promises of God is the very opposite of easy. It wasn't easy, it wasn't quick, quick, but as long as they contended, as long as they engaged in the process, what God promised them was ensured. All the promises of God are yes, to which we say amen, so be it. So, the Israelites possess the promises through warfare, and that brings us to my second point. We, the people of God today, those who are in Christ Jesus possess the promises of God. How? Through warfare. <laughs> I don't like this message. Well, I'm not, I'm not really here to try to uh, uh, give you stuff that you like. I'm trying to, to give you truth. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's the truth that will set you free. So we need to learn truth, and when we learn truth, then we can begin the process of cooperating with God and walking out the promises of God in our life. We, the people of God, also possess the promise through warfare. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, let me see if I can convince you. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Ephesian church. Why does he call them brethren? Because they're born again people, probably born-again, spirit-filled Christians, but they're Christians, people in whom the Spirit of God resides. They've been born again, not just going to church, but they've been born again. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ, and he says to the church, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. What does that do? What, but what does that mean? Well, we don't wrestle against people. What we do do is, <laughs> what we do, uh, 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 I can't say that any other way. What we do do, <laughs> is we wrestle against, we fight against, we warfare against principalities, powers rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of weakness in the heavenly places so we do fight that's what paul is telling them put on the full armor of god because you're in a fight take up the whole armor of god not some of the armor of god not most of the armor of god the whole armor of god and he's not just talking to one individual christian we sometimes read it that way individually he's talking to the church church see yourself we see ourselves i'm a soldier for christ that's great but if you're a soldier and everybody else around you is not you're in trouble we are the army of god and we're in a fight we take up the whole armor you say well how come i'm having a struggle how come i'm i'm, I'm a soldier i'm standing i'm believing god because you were never intended to fight alone you will experience some victories individually as a believer, but you won't experience all the victories that you can unless you're hooked up with a body, with a squad, with a, with a uh, what's another, uh, um, uh, unit, with an army. You need to be hooked up with them because it's together that you're going to walk out. It's together that you're going to contend. It's together that you're going to overcome. 
One can put a, but two can put, and maybe you're fighting a multitude more than a thousand. You need a couple of more on your side. If two or three can agree about anything in my name, it shall be done. You hear what I'm saying? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And when he's talking about standing, he's not talking about, hey, just hold on, just hold on. No, he's talking about standing victorious. Against enemy, the enemy, anything the enemy wants to throw at you, you stand victorious. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they did not love their lives, even unto death. Many of us consciously or unconsciously equate God's will with easy. We often forget that we're in a fight against a real adversary. That adversary sought to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his purpose. And he is actively seeking to do the same with you and I, children of God. He's seeking to prevent us from fulfilling our purpose and destiny in life. Matthew 4 and 1, we see this with Jesus. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus himself said, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He sought to do that with Jesus through the temptations throughout his ministry, and he seeks to do the same with us. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that, he has the oper- that he's going to be able to do that. He wants to do that. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. In order to carry out God's will, in order to attain the promises of God in our lives, we must fight this enemy and overcome. Think about it. If we're called to fight, it should cause us to realize that everything is not going to be easy. I like to watch every once in a while. Um, I don't like to sit through a, through a paper. I don't buy pay-per-views. I don't do that. But every once in a while on YouTube, you have a recap of a MMA fight, right? And, you know, or you have a boxing match or something like that, you know? And what takes... 30 minutes, you can get done in like three minutes, and you, you know, whatever the case may be. And then you always, uh, always have a winner, and you always have a loser, but most of the time they're both beat up. Why are they both beat up? Because they were in a fight, right? Now you're saying, we're going to get beat up? I'm saying, we're in a fight. So what I'm saying is, in a fight, you're going to have to contend. You're going to have to move forward. You're going to have to sometimes step back, step to the side, move forward. You're going to have to punch. You're going to have to resist. You're going to have to uh, uh, dodge. All these things. A fight, we tend to think it says, uh, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. And so you stand up and you say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, go. And, 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 and the next thing you know, you have to dodge a blow. In the name of Jesus, I command you to go. You dodge a blow. You say, well, I guess it doesn't work. No, it works. But what you realize, what you think is a one-punch fight is oftentimes a 15-round brawl. Well, how do I win? Don't stop fighting. Don't stop resisting. Continue to fight. Continue to contend. And the promise is, and in the end, he will flee from you. Well, I don't like to read it that way. <laughs> I know. 
I know. I like to read it. That, you know, I, I commanded go and he goes. But even the disciples, when they were commissioned to cast out demons, they had a lot of success at first. But then Jesus went up on the mountain and they brought a little boy. And when they were trying to cast it out, it didn't want to go. And so they came to the conclusion that they couldn't do it. And when Jesus came down off the mountain, the father brought the child to Jesus, and Jesus cast it out, and the disciple says, why couldn't we do it? He said, because of your little faith. <gasps> well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does make sense if you translate the word little as brief. Because of your brief faith. And it can be translated that way. What does that mean? You thought, and you came to the conclusion that you couldn't, instead of continuing the fight. You continue the fight because what I said to you is true and it will happen as long as you persevere. You hear what I'm saying? And sometimes what happens is I hit him and he didn't move. I hit him and he didn't move. I guess I can't do it. Because we equate the promises of God with easy. You hear what I'm saying? We are fighting from victory, yes, but we're still called to fight. God is with us, yes, but we're still called to fight. We need to realize this because, as I said before, our culture, the one that we lived in, whether we realize it or not, we've been blessed with so much. Those blessings that are in our life, we don't always recognize it, but the reason, and I'll show you in a minute some of the blessings, but the reason that we have these blessings is not because of what we've done, but it's because previous generations have gone to fight. We're living on the shoulders of the soldiers of a previous generation. You hear what I'm saying? And in our prosperity that they fought for, we're used to things coming easy. I, I give you this example all the time. I said, you know, when I go out to eat, sometimes I don't do it as much anymore because I realize it was um, not uh, beneficial to my health. But I would go to these fast food restaurants. And, you know, um, Domino's used to say in 30 minutes or less, but you go to McDonald's and you hope to get it in three minutes or less, right? And so here's my mentality. I go to McDonald's, oh, the line's too long. I'm going to go to Sonic. Oh, that line's a little bit too long. I'm going to go to Taco Bell. Oh, that line's a little bit shorter. We'll go to Taco Bell so that I can get my food in five minutes or less, three minutes or less, two minutes or less. One. Did you know that that mentality never crossed the minds of previous generations? Some generations didn't know if they were going to have food to eat. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We're not concerned with whether we're going to have food to eat. What we're concerned with is how long is it going to take for me to get food to eat? I've used this example before, but some of you are new. Uh, when I was, uh, 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 my kids were in my house, they were, they were teenagers, and, and, uh, or they were, you know, young adults, and, and uh, I would uh, come to them, I said, would you like to go out to eat with your dad? And they said, where are we going? And I said, well, and I'm thinking to myself, Luby's has a Luann plate. You know, at that time it was like $4.99, right? Now it's like the same price as a regular meal, you know. And, uh, but anyway, at that time it was like 4 I said, how about we go to Luby's? Nah. 
I don't want to go. He said, if I were to ask them, I said, where do you want to go? I'm sure they would say, I want to go to uh, the steakhouse, or I want to go, you know, to a a nice uh, upscale restaurant. That's where I want to go. And, you know, so they're not, they're concerned with not so much, hey, I'm going to go have dinner with my dad. They're concerned with what am I going to eat, and do I want to uh, uh, give my time to something that is worthwhile, Right? And so it's, I always put it this way. Uh, what do you want to eat? I want frogwar. I want caviar. There's a certain point where steak isn't good enough. I want something better. Now, I'm not against having good food, and I'm not against the opportunity to experience and to eat, and if you can do that on a regular basis, I've got nothing wrong with that. It's just that sometimes we don't realize when we start thinking that way, we don't realize that that's not uh, that is a product of a victory that other people have attained in our lives. Because a lot of people throughout the world, uh, they eat the same thing every day, and they're thankful if they have it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, we, in our prosperity, we are used to things coming easy. Now, please understand, I'm speaking relative to previous generations. I'm not saying your life is easy relative to other people in this generation. I'm speaking, for the most part, our generation relative to other generations, relative to other cultures, perhaps. We have the privilege of complaining about how hard our life is. But we complain about it on social media, on our tablets, on our iPhones, on our computers, while we're drinking a cup of latte at the nearest coffee bar. Right? We aren't the people who crossed the ocean not knowing what was on the other side, not knowing if they were going to make it to the other side to pave the way for a better life. We aren't the ones who resisted tyranny to purchase the freedom to worship and live free from the shackles of oppression. Yes, we have much. I do not want to discount that. I don't want to go back to these days. We do have much, and I'm thankful for that. But someone had to fight to possess those freedoms. Jesus won a victory at the cross of Calvary. He came to fight the true enemy, the devil, and he soundly defeated him by dealing him a crushing blow on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed, remember what we fight, but he disarmed principalities, powers, and he made a public spectacle out of them, triumphing them over them in it, the cross. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He won a decisive victory at the cross over the powers of the enemy, but what we need to realize is that though he disarmed them, he didn't remove them. 
he, he stripped them of their authority, but they're still running around. They can still lie, deceive, seek to steal, kill, and destroy. They still obstruct. They still hinder. He's still free to ply his trade as he seeks to thwart the kingdom of God from advancing. In Christ, we have been given authority and power in God's name to stand against the wiles of the enemy and bring the kingdom of God to bear in our families, in our homes, in our lives, in our schools, in our society, in our culture, in our nation. But let's not make the mistake of thinking it's going to be easy. Was seeing your daughter free easy? But it is, because you fought and you contended. And God showed you that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And because you were willing to battle in prayer and willing to stand and willing to do what was necessary, your daughter today is free. He doesn't mind me sharing that, because he would do that himself. But you're, but you're hearing what I'm saying. But it happened with fight. Didn't come easy. There was a lot of prayer, a lot of contending, a lot of agreement, a lot of, a lot of counsel, a lot of declaring the word of God. You're fighting against an enemy. It will require us to take a stand and fight to possess the good promises of God in our lives. But the promise is this, if we will fight, if we will contend, if we will stand, if we will move forth in faith, we will see the victory. Just as in the promised land, the Israelites had, had, uh, must con had to contend, they had to fight, they had to move forward, and it's vital for us to grasp that we, as God's present-day people, learn the same truths, the same principles that possessing the land of promise, in our case, possessing the promises of God for our lives, will require for us to contend, to fight, and to move forward as well. 2 Peter 1, 3-4, as far as the promises of God, he says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature you may be having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust second corinthians 1 and 20 again for all his promises of god are yes and in him we say Amen to the glory of God. So in other words, God is saying, like the leper that came up to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus is basically saying to us, all my promises, I'm willing for you to have. Right? But it depends on us. You must overcome the enemy squatting on your land. You must push through the obstacles to possess the promises won by and freely given to us in Christ. Psalms 126, 5 through 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with them. What does that mean? What are you trying to bring about? Sometimes it costs you something to plant. 
If you want to harvest in your life, you're going to have to, to, now I'm not talking about you earn it by works, but you're going to have to sow. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about whatever it is you've got to do. You've got to plant. You've got to contend. You've got to go out there and you've got to plow that field. And, you know, in this particular context of this, people had to take their food. And they had to deny themselves and they had to deny their children something so that they could have a greater harvest in the future. If they ate everything today, they would be satiated today. They would fill their bellies for today, but tomorrow they would have nothing. And so you've got to learn how to deny sometimes your presence so that you can have a harvest in the future. It's 1 Timothy 6 and 12. Paul says to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and can have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already attained, Paul is saying, or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything, anything you think otherwise, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule let us be of the same mind what he is saying and you got to realize Paul is toward the end of his life but he is saying I don't consider myself that I've attained yet all this stuff that I've done and that God has done through me he's not he's not denying that that happened all this stuff that I've been that's fine but the battle's not over yet the fight is not finished I'm going to continue on possessing, uh, seeking to possess that for which Christ has possessed me. I'm going to battle and I'm going to fight for everything that God said that was mine in life. But not just for me, so that I can be an example and I can contend for the churches that God has put me over that they might experience all that God has available for them. Now, going back to Abraham. Remember, we kind of started with Abraham. Abraham walked the land of promise in faith. He tasted the goodness of the land, but much of what he's doing would become fully realized in the generations that came after him. But it was necessary for him to do his part in his day for his children that hadn't even been born yet to experience their part and they would do their part in contending for what God had promised them so that next generations could fully realize all that God had promised Abram. I believe we must know what God has promised us. That's key. And then what God has promised us, we must contend and fight as the people of God, to experience those promises, even if we don't experience it to their full realization, we must still contend. 
perhaps like Abraham, our walk of faith will ensure that our children and our children's children, if they were here, they're up in children's church right now, I would have you look at them because so much of the church is just worried about me. After the rapture's coming, I'm not going to have to worry about the next generation. God's going to take us out. Why work so hard if Jesus is just coming anyway? Well, I want to tell you something. For 2,000 and something years, uh, people have been waiting for Jesus to come, and I believe he's coming, and I believe he could come any minute, so don't take this the wrong way. What I'm saying is I'm going to live like today, uh, believing that he's coming but if he doesn't I'm not gonna stop fighting because I'm fighting for my children and I'm fighting for my grandchildren that have not even been born yet I'm gonna do everything that I can to realize what I can in my life of the promises of God so that my my ceiling can become my children's floor now should Jesus come tomorrow I have lost nothing But if he doesn't come for another hundred years, I'm not going to live life by burying my talent in the soil and saying, okay, God, at least I have this to show you when you come back. No, I'm going to work the talent that he gave me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I believe that's the mentality that we have. So don't go away from here saying, well, you don't believe in the rapture. You don't believe Jesus is coming back. I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe that. I live my life with that. But when he comes back, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Perhaps like Abraham, our walk of faith will ensure the coming generations will have the opportunity to see and experience what we're walking out by faith. Should Jesus tarry, I want to be able to look my, these kids that are young in our church right now, I want to be able to look him in the eye and said, like Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. There's more for you than what I've been able to attain. There's a greater land of promise out there before you. We've taken a little bit of land, but there's a lot out there for you. So follow the example that, that we laid for you, that Christ laid for us, and go out there and possess the promises of God. But if we don't do it, because children don't learn by what they're taught, they learn by what they see, then they're not going to do it. And I want to end with this quote that John Adams said one of the second president of the United States, he said this, I must, he didn't say I, I do, he said I must study politics and war that my sons have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. My sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. You see, maybe we think that our generation should be studying painting and poetry, and I wish that would be the case. But what might actually be the case is that we may have to study politics and war so that our children and our grandchildren can attain to what we hope to be able to attain. We've got to stop living lives just for ourselves. We've got to begin to live lives multi-generationally until Jesus returns. The land of promise is not necessarily 
the land of easy. But it's still God's will for us.